transfiguration of your Son, you confirmed the mysteries of the faith by the witness of Moses and Elijah. And in the voice from the bright, bright cloud, you foreshadowed our adoption as your children. Make us with the King heirs of your glory and bring us to enjoy its fullness through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, this is the prayer for Transfiguration of Our Lord Sunday, Transfiguration Sunday, which uh, we have coming up here this week, which is early for us. Uh, normally, in the three-year lectionary, it comes as the last Sunday before Lent, the last Sunday of ordinary time, green time, used to be epiphany season, but um, for us, because we've, we're doing the one-year lectionary this year, it actually comes a little bit early because then we get into Septuagesima, which is one of my favorite uh, seasons uh, to have in the church year. But um, this, is a, this is a prayer that basically just tells the story almost of what has happened, to, to have us pray over the, the story of the transfiguration of Christ on that mountain. O oh God, in the transfiguration of your Son, and that transformation of him, and in which in which he had uh, one form as they're making their way up to the mountain, and then they get up to the top of the mountain, and his his godness uh, comes out, that the showing forth of his glory, his his shining brightly, uh, the 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 reality of him being the light of the world, it comes breaks through the flesh that he has taken on to show forth who he truly is. And so, uh, O oh God, in the transfiguration of your Son, you confirmed the mysteries of the faith, the things that, that are mysterious, that we have to put our trust in because they are so mysterious, by the witness of Moses and Elijah. We'll get to that in a second when we get to the actual story, but it's hearkening back to the fact that the whole Old Testament prefigures Christ in so many different ways. It, it, it prepares us for that. Moses being the law, Elijah being the prophets, the, the law and the prophets, the first five books and the whole rest of the scriptures, all testifying to the mysteries of Christ, the mysteries of this faith, the mysteries of the fact that our righteousness comes through trust, through faith, not through anything that we can do on our own. And in the voice from the bright cloud, you foreshadowed our adoption as your children. The fact that because we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And, and so we are brought in as his children through that. Make us with the King, that is Christ, heirs of your glory. Help us to, to be linked to the glory of God, not to our own glory, but to what, to what um, makes Christ shine forth, to what makes God so unbelievably wonderful. And bring us to enjoy its fullness, not just a, a little tiny bit like, like we had with Moses asking a couple of weeks ago, can I show me your glory? And, he sh and God just shows him his backside, right? We'll actually have part of that story here in just a second. Uh, but wanting the fullness of God, wanting the fullness of who he is, not our own glory, but his glory, desiring to have him for who he is. And so this prayer basically sets us up <laughs> Uh, for the story that is going to be coming to us and, and gives us almost a sermon in and of itself to help us be able to meditate on that story. Uh, well, with that, let us get to our readings. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant 
because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face, but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. When he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is Exodus 34. And it's sort of the end portion of uh, that encounter that, that Moses has with God. That, that Moses has gone back up to the mountain. This is after the, the uh, crafting of the golden calf. And he breaks the first tablets. And he goes back up on the mountain and he begs for God to go with them into the promised land. He begs for God to be present with them or else they will fail. They will do nothing. And, and then he begs to be able to see his glory. And, and so then he gets to see the backside of God uh, as, as God rounds a corner. And he hides Moses in the cleft of a rock to be able to, to protect him because he says, no one can see me and live. And so he only gets to see basically the butt of God as it's going around the corner. But it causes his face to be transfigured, where the interaction that comes from God making his presence known to Moses transforms Moses in such a way that people know that something happened. And this is a, a beautiful connection to the transfiguration of our Lord. Here we have Moses coming down the mountain and no one wants to come near him because they're terrified which in many ways fits with this notion of to fear and love God, right? That, that we should fear him in the sense that he is God. He's almighty. He is creator. But with that uh, interaction with God comes a, um, a, a, a transfiguration of our own in which when we come into contact with the almighty, when we come into contact with Christ, for instance, of who he is and what he's actually done for us. Uh, there is a transformation in us, not in the sense of us becoming holy, right? Be but because there becomes some semblance or sense of this desire to have more of God and to, to bring that out to others. And so here Moses, for instance, he has to put a veil over his face when he talks to people because they're terrified of, of his shining forth. But then when he goes in to see God in the, in the tabernacle, he takes the veil off to, to interact with God. There's, there's these uh, amazing pictures, right, uh, of where uh, Moses has to cover up portions of himself because the people can't handle it. And I think sometimes it's us, right? Uh, those of us who have, have connected ourselves to faith, those of us who are uh, ones who trust in God alone for all things, um, we often find ourselves having to uh, pull ourselves back from um, being too out there with people, right? Uh, because of the fact that oftentimes people can't handle it. They can't handle the, um, the, the, the gloriousness of God. 
but they also are not ready to want to have to speak about things of faith, people that are especially outside of the faith. And so we can't get in people's faces and scream and yell at them. It actually, we have to actually come down on their level to be able to talk with them, to be able to connect with them, and allow God to be the one who connects. Because if you notice, this has nothing to do with Moses. It's not Moses' face that's shining. It's the glory of God that, that is upon him. That, that it wasn't something special about Moses. It was something special about the God that, that Moses has come in contact with. And, and so the, the hope and, and the goal for us as we connect with people about who God is and what God has done and the necessity of what God has done, which is another one of those tripping up points for people, the need for God, uh, is not to make it about us, not to allow ourselves to be the focus of things, but in fact, it becomes a, a place where God needs to be the one to do the work. And that calls for patience, uh, being able to wait, being able to uh, take the time with every conversation to have just little tidbits here and there, not to, to preach at people until they give in, right? It becomes a hostage situation that way. But to be patient with that, to be persistent though, in the sense of maybe it's every week asking somebody to come to church and they say no and you say, okay. Then the next week, hey, why don't you come to church with me? They say no, okay, okay. And then maybe you wait a couple of weeks, why don't you come to church with me? Maybe in two or three years, they decide, okay, I'll come with you or to youth group or Sunday school or whatever the case may be. Being patient, being persistent, um, and, and, and being willing to, to uh, persevere in all of that. And so we have here Moses, knowing how he needs to interact with the people and knowing how he needs to interact with God, being, being willing to, to do those things in order to um, better serve the ones that he has been put in charge of, but also uh, knowing what it is that has happened in his encounter with the Almighty. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Well, this is Psalm 2, and we've had this one before. I think we've probably even had it a couple of times here over the last few months with our different videos and our different uh, Bible studies and those sorts of things. So I'm not going to go too in-depth into this. Um, you can go back and try and find it in there. I can't remember which Sunday it was or which week. Um, but the psalm is about the, the uh, interaction of God in the world, and specifically the anointed one. 
the Christ, the one that God has chosen, the, the notion of God's electing work being outside of any choice that we have. Uh, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And, and then this is the voice of those rulers speaking. They're, they're, they're trying to fight against God. Uh, they want to be king, and they don't want God to be king. Let us break their chains, they say. They see God as a slave driver, which he's not. He's the one who brings freedom. But they don't want freedom. They want their own power. And so when they see God coming and removing from them their sin, but also removing from them their own glory, their own power, their own ability to rule, they see it as prison. They see it as chains. And throw off their fetters, they say. They'll throw off those, those chains around our feet. The one, that is God, enthroned in heaven laughs, doesn't he? At our own abilities to be able to do uh, anything on our own. Uh, the Lord scoffs at them. Oh, you think you have power? Ha 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 ha, he says. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Meaning you've wanted something else. You've wanted yourself to be king. I've picked my king and I've placed him on my holy hill. I've picked my Christ. I've picked my anointed one, my Messiah. And I've installed him on a holy hill that has a cross on it. And he's been nailed there for you to, to put to death your desires to be king so that you might be mine and I might be yours. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. And then it goes on to talk about all the things that God is going to do through Christ and how Christ is going to rule. And then we're called on to kiss him, to come into peace with the son, to come into peace with God. And that again becomes this interaction with God, where if we come to God desiring to be our own kings, we're going to fall. But if we come to God knowing that he is king, that he is Lord of all, that he is almighty, we come in a humiliated state, ones who have lost, in order that we might win in him. And that is the hope, that is the goal of what we desire from him. Make this your prayer this week, that God might destroy your kingdom, whatever that looks like, and might hand you his. Our epistle reading comes from 2 Peter chapter 1. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father. And the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we have Peter recounting the encounter that he had on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, we, we have him uh, uh, declaring that he's not making anything up about this Jesus because he saw firsthand who Jesus is, saw him in his glory, saw him transfigured, transformed before him. He heard the voice come from the cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
And so he cannot but testify to what he has known and what he has seen. That becomes the same call for us, right? We, we, we should be so enamored with what it is that God has done. And our faith bring us to the point that we know of something as certain of who he is. And we can only speak of what we've known and we've seen, what we've understood, what has been brought to us. That we should be uh, willing to be open <laughs> to making that stuff known. To be going to God and being able to, to ask him to show us his glory found in Jesus Christ. To make it more real for us. But at, but at the same time, to be able to come to people and say, well, I can just tell you of what I know is true. The promises of God given to me in my baptism, the promises of God given to me at the table that my sins are forgiven, the promises of God that came to me in that cross 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem, of Christ's power in that. And then he goes on to say, we have the word of the prophets made more certain, made more certain the prophecies of who Christ is and what he has done made more certain for us. The scriptures made more certain. The, these scriptures of these prophets that spoke not from their own ability, right? He says, not from their own will, but from God's will working in them. And you do well to pay attention to it, to cling to it, to look to it, to listen to it. Have your ears open that the word might come in as to a light shining in a dark place, meaning uh, you're in a dark room and suddenly someone turns on one little tiny flashlight. Suddenly it brightens the whole room. Suddenly you're able to find yourself to the door, to the way out. Even just a pinprick of light suddenly changes everything. And so we beg that that in this reading of the scriptures, in the work that, that comes through the, the, the spirit working upon you, uh, through the preaching of the word whenever a, a preacher comes to you, even if it's you preaching, uh, every time you're reading the, the scriptures on your own, uh, there we have God uh, being present with you and doing something in you to bring light into the darkness to bring light into the darkness of your own soul, to bring light into the darkness of your sin, to shine it brightly so that you see it, so that you know more clearly of what it is that Christ did on the cross for you. And, and, and we want it, we want to pay attention to it, we want to hold to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the dawn, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, until the day of Christ Jesus comes. This is what we have for us. And we have to cling to it. We have to desire for it. We have to hope that above all hopes that it continues to come to us in this way. That, that we have this, this thing that does something more than just being some nice guidelines. But being something that offers up to us the, the mercy and the grace and the glory of God that we desire to have, that we need to have in our lives. Because we know that without him we can do nothing. Our gospel text comes from Matthew chapter 17, of course. <laughs> After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Uh, most of us know this story. It comes to us every year. Uh, regardless of whether we're doing the one-year lectionary or the three-year lectionary, there's always transfiguration of our Lord's Sunday. Um, and here we have uh, Peter, James, and John. They're always the lucky three that get to go to, with Jesus up the hill. And they go up this high mountain, and there he's transfigured, transformed, uh, made to shine bright like the sun, uh, clothes as white as light, uh, just shining brightly. And and Moses and Elijah appear. I always wonder how how uh, uh, the disciples knew that it was Moses and Elijah, right? Were they wearing matching T-shirts with their names on them, uh, uniforms? Did they have a uniform tag, that the, the name tag that just said Moses? Elijah, <laughs> or or did they have pictures of them? So you know, mug shots that they knew. I don't know, uh, but that says that Moses and Elijah show up. Like I've said before, it's this it's this encounter that that Moses and Elijah show up uh, to to testify to the fact that they've spoken of Christ from the very very beginning of this this redemption, the Savior that is to come. But also um, there is with this. Uh, uh, this sense of an interaction between Moses and Elijah and Jesus, where Moses and Elijah almost get sent as the two greatest preachers that Israel had ever had to be able to preach to Jesus, uh, to, to remind him of his exodus, to remind him of his, his death that is to come. Um, and almost to proclaim to him the good news of who he is, uh, but then also for Jesus to finally be able to preach to Moses and, 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 and Elijah to, to tell them that they did not work in vain, that he gets to speak with them and, and, and tell them it's almost done. All of that that you had worked for, that you died before you saw the culmination of it, it it's almost finished. And there's something that we can hold on to here in that because, because for us, how many of us have been praying for certain people or certain things in our lives, begging, hoping, pleading that they would come, that they would happen, transformation in a loved one, uh, someone coming to faith, whatever the case may be. And some of us may die before we see that, unfortunately. And yet there's gospel here for us. But that Christ is still going to be working regardless. That Moses and Elijah slaved over what it was that they were doing and they forecasted the, the coming one who was going to come and, and redeem us. And yet they never got a chance to see him until now. They had to be brought from the dead to be able to speak with Jesus and to hear of this. There should be some gospel for you, church in that, to know that you pray and you pray and you pray and you may not see the fruition of your prayers, yet Jesus will bring it about. Here in his glory, he brings it about for Moses and Elijah. And then Peter has to speak, right? I'll build some temples or some tents for you guys up here. And part I think Moses, or Peter wants to keep Moses and Elijah there so he can talk with them, but he also wants to keep Jesus there in that place because he wants to keep Jesus as who he is there on top of that mountain so he knows where to find Jesus. 
that Jesus stays in that glorified state because the humble Jesus, the Jesus that keeps saying he's going to die on the cross, Peter's not too excited about that Jesus. And so then suddenly he gets interrupted, right? Notice that they're not too afraid until they hear the voice. And the voice says, this is my son, the one I love, the beloved one. Listen to him. Then they freak out. The voice of God comes to them, just like it did in Exodus when God spoke and the people said, God, shut up. We'd only rather hear from your proxy, from your, your preacher. We can't handle listening to you. Well, here God speaks and suddenly they get afraid. And part of that is because the voice of God should cause us to fear. Because when God speaks, only then comes power. God's word coming to do some transformation. But then also, too, cower in fear because you have to listen. And here Peter falls down probably in fear because he realizes his understanding of who he wants Jesus to be is not what is coming. But instead, Jesus is going to be who he is. He's going to be the one who's going to die and need to rise. And then Jesus touches them, says, get up, don't be afraid. And all they see is Jesus again. He's back to his normal state. And then they come down the mountain and he reminds them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Why? Because Jesus takes on this flesh for a purpose, that he might die, literally die, dead Jesus buried in the tomb, taking all your sins with you, with him, taking them away from you, that he might bury him there and then rise to new life and leave them there in the grave. That's the power that comes through Christ. That's the power that comes through God. And we pray that as this Transfiguration Sunday comes to you, that you might see Christ even more so in the glory of who he is, of what he has done, the power that has come through that. And this word of God might come to you, that you might hear it and be brought to uh, to true faith, connecting to him what it is that you need, that forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Let's pray. O God, in the transfiguration of your Son, you confirmed the mysteries of the faith by the witness of Moses and Elijah and the voice from the bright cloud. You foreshadowed our adoption as your children. Make us with the King, heirs of your glory, and bring us to enjoy its fullness through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All church, go in peace, serve the Lord, and we'll see you on Sunday.